0: I wanna take just a moment to remind you how important it is to think on paper. I talk about it all the time. It's so important, especially if you're someone who's easily distracted. You need a notebook with you at all times. This is where you jot down your best ideas. When you think on paper, all of that creativity flows and it, it sends that message out to the universe. It's crazy the things that you can manifest when you put your ideas, your thoughts, your dreams, your intentions on paper whether you're looking for a very simple to use effective day planner or a blank notebook to capture all of your brilliant ideas and brainstorms, the place to go is pushjournal.com. We've got blank notebooks as well as incredibly easy to use day planners. Like this is the day planner I created as someone who has ADHD, who needed something super simple. We've got new designs, designs that have more blank pages, or our classic Push Journal with a health tracker, as well as blank notebooks that are so cool. They're so adorable. Like, it literally will tell people a little something about your personality when they see you writing in this notebook. Check them all out by going to pushjournal.com. Hey, what's going on? So you're back, which I really appreciate because I know there's other things you could be doing. And I know that you have probably thought to yourself, are we still talking about this? And why are we talking about this? I'm going to explain all of that. There is no ulterior motive. This is so funny. So I've been talking a lot about mindset lately, and I've had three of my friends text me and said, hey, are you like launching some program or something around mindset? I'm like, dude, do you not know me? Do you not yet realize that I get on these tangents? I'm obsessive. Have you not noticed that? And I go on these deep dives, these rabbit holes. I can't stop thinking about certain things. And then I keep listening and researching and digging and talking. And I make it the sole content of my Instagram. Brock says it so funny. He's like, he's like, Mom, you really do have ADHD. <laughs> he's like, you go off on these tangents and you just, you never know where you're going to go. You keep everybody on your toes. I love it. But boy you really do change subjects. I'm like, well, it's because I've become like fascinated by certain subjects. And then I just want to know everything. And I want to understand how other people interpret all of it. And this one is hugely important because this one, frankly, changes your life. And it changes the legacy for your children. It's kind of huge. But yeah, to answer the question, no, I'm not leading up to anything. It's just it's just the way my brain works. And this is such a huge topic. I'm going to explain why. But more importantly, in today's episode, I'm going to finally answer the question, at least to the best of my ability, of like, so how do you change your mindset? I get it. I get that I have these limiting beliefs in certain areas. I get that there's some self-doubt I might have. I get that it might be me that's holding me back. That's great. How do I change it because, you know, repeating affirmations and just being aware of it isn't doing anything. If that worked, then everyone would frickin' change their mindset. If it were just a matter of like affirmations or the secret, then everyone would be a millionaire or a multimillionaire. Okay, so I'm going to break down something in this episode that, I mean, prove me wrong. I don't think anyone's ever explained it this way before. I guess it's kind of ridiculous to think that anything's original. So I'll just say this. I've never heard anyone explain it this way. It's just how I was able to change my mindset and how I've seen thousands of other people, not hundreds of thousands, but I'd say I've probably seen thousands of people change their minds, change the way they think about money and wealth and belief in themselves through this methodology. Let's do it. Okay, as I always say, when we're trying to figure something out... Nothing is more helpful than reverse engineering it, right? And one of the, I think, most important things to reverse engineer when we're talking about your mindset around wealth and around abundance and spending and finances and all that stuff is to figure out where did this come from? How did this start? Where did I get this? Because if we can start there, you can begin to understand how to change it. Okay, so the first thing, I know this is not going to surprise you, is we've got to go back to like your earliest memories. Sorry, I'm looking at my notes because I did take a whole bunch of notes from the things that you said to me this week in social media. Okay, so one of the biggest things you have to recognize is that from the time you were born until you were sent off into the world to be an adult, you were being programmed. Your political views are probably, or were at least at some point, very much influenced by the things you were programmed to believe from the time you were a child. And a lot of this has to do with just language, the things our parents said. So do you ever catch yourself saying something, especially like when you're in the heat of the moment with your kids, and you catch yourself saying something that you know 100% just came from somewhere deep? Dark in your brain subconscious because you heard your mom or dad say it in that exact same moment. And you just catch yourself and you're like, I cannot even believe I just said that because my parents did. That's a good example of how deeply embedded these subconscious thoughts and sometimes these subconscious beliefs are. And a lot of it, again, has to do with like verbal programming. It's your parents saying things like money doesn't grow on trees or calling people like filthy rich. Like that's just a phrase that you hear like filthy rich. But think about what that says on a subliminal level that people who are rich are dirty, they're bad, they're filthy. Or maybe money doesn't buy happiness and the messaging there is like, well, you know, if you have money, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be happier Or, or more money, more problems. Or maybe you heard... We can't afford that. Or that's for rich people. We aren't those people. We don't live in that neighborhood. We aren't that, you know, that's not our people. Like phrases like that, your parents say like, oh, we're saving for a rainy day. The things that they said to you about your own money, like even when you're shopping and and the things you witnessed, the way that your parents managed their money. And even if you didn't know as a child how your parents or your grandparents or whoever it was that was raising you or you were influenced by, even if you didn't know exactly how they managed their money, there was definitely an attitude around money that you picked up on. You may have noticed that your parents fought more when money was tight. You may have heard that phrase, like money is tight. We can't afford that, or that's not in our budget. Like you're not getting that this year, you didn't deserve that, or you didn't earn that. Like All these different things around money. What about if your parents lost money or you lost money? Like what if you lost $10? Or what happened if you, believe it or not, this has to do with money and wealth and abundance too, is the way your parents viewed material things. So for example, if you were to lose an item, how was it treated? How were you treated? What happened? I remember, for example, that I lost... can't imagine how old I was, probably like second or third grade. And we were taking a trip to Florida to go to Walt Disney World. And I had saved up some money and I had in a special little purse. And then I lost it. And I remember telling, I specifically remember telling my parents that I had lost it and they had all my money in it. And I remember that I was very upset about it. And they were like, oh, well, you know, easy come, easy go. And I was kind of like angry with them This is a very early childhood memory that they weren't upset by it. And like the fact that they were like, oh, well, yeah, you might be thinking to yourself, well, that wasn't very empathetic. But the message, the subliminal message I got was, it's no big deal. It's just money. Easy come, easy go. And that was probably one of my earliest money memories. And I, of course, had lots of money memories, most of which, you know, fortunate enough to report were very, very positive. I've said this before, but I did not know that we were often broke because my parents never used that language. They never used any of those negative phrases and I asked them and, you know, they said a little bit of it was intentional and a lot of it was just because they were trying to break the cycle from which they were raised in. My dad's parents both worked in factories in Detroit, really super hardworking people, Both of the, I think my grandpa worked two factory jobs and my grandmother worked two factory jobs too. And one of them was through the night so that she could be there in the morning with my dad. And he remembers them really pointing out the fact that a relative of theirs tried to go into business for himself and them just always talking about like what a, a selfish thing to do to do that and how risky it was. And so there was like all this negative programming into my dad that to become an entrepreneur and to do anything other than to work in the factories in Detroit was kind of a selfish, foolish thing to do. You wanted a predictable income. You wanted to know exactly how much you were making, what hours of the day you showed up. You showed up and you did that work. And so it was, you know, my dad was kind of the first generation of entrepreneurs. And then, of course, I picked up a lot of things from my father's mindset around money. Now, here's one that really benefited me, and that is, my parents were often on this roller coaster in terms of money. Like, because my dad, you know, didn't go to school to become an entrepreneur. He didn't go to college. He was figuring out as he went along, and so he did lots of different businesses. There was no one there to teach him. And P.S. for those of you who aren't entrepreneurs but you realize you do need to make more money. Let me just go off on a little tangent here for a second. No one teaches you how to do that. It is my pet freaking peeve when you say, but I don't know where to go or how to do that. We're going to get back to that question in just a second. Neither did anybody else. I mean, it is so rare that there's someone who you know who's you know, really successful or a millionaire isn't a self-made millionaire. Most people are self-made millionaires who had no idea where to start or what to do or what the thing should be. They just friggin' went for it. And that's what my dad did. And a lot of times they were in debt. They filed for bankruptcy at one point. At one point, they lost everything, their entire life savings. And they came to me as a young child. I think I've told the story before. And they borrowed money from me. My little blue bank book, which was also a money memory, like that my parents had me open up a bank account when I was a child, so that I could see my money growing in a savings account, and that formed a money memory. The money memory that I, or the the message, the subliminal programming I received was, you want to save your money, save it. I never heard like take your money and invest it to make money. In fact, I had programming from my father specifically, who would say that people who invest in the stock markets, that was gambling. That's what gamblers did. And he never invested in stocks. So I had a negative mindset around that. I thought that people who invested in the stock market were gamblers. (laughs) We'll get to that in a minute. So all of this is programming. You know, how your parents even viewed wealthy people and how they looked at them and how they talked about them. was Did they speak about people who were wealthier or well-off in a way that was resentful? Or was it like, oh, those people are so blessed and we want to pray for them? Or was it... Did they say things about them and make accusations about their their character or their morality? Or did they say like things like, more money, more problems? Or, yeah, that guy's got money, but look how unhappy he is. You know, do they point out those negative things? Which is very interesting because anything you can say about somebody with money, you can say about somebody without money. You can say, look at all these wealthy people who are divorced and unhappy. Yeah, well, (laughs) you can say the same thing about people who are broke. Look at all these broke people who are, you know, divorced and unhappy. Look at all these wealthy people who take advantage of others and they steal and they're deceptive and they're evil and money is the root of all evil. There's another one. Oh my gosh. So there's the whole biblical side of how people interpret wealth in the Bible, right? Like there's People who believe that God wants you to prosper and others who believe that, that, again, money is the root of all evil, which is not true. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil, perhaps, or at least partly responsible for evil. But all of these things are programming, and it's so deep in your subconscious, and that is partly why you have a script in your head that you believe around money. There's a specific amount, like right now, I guarantee you. Like, trust me, let's just do this right now. In the next two years, what do you believe to be within the realm of reality the maximum amount you probably are going to earn in the next two to three years? Like, annually, the most I'm going to make is how much? Like, you have a limit right now in your head, you have an amount. I know you do because I asked this of you on Instagram and I got things like $60,000. I got people saying my limit is what my current job pays me and, I, and I'm a teacher or I'm a you know fill in the blank and I know exactly how much I go up each year for the next couple of years. That, my friends, is a script. It's not true unless it is true. It's not true unless you've decided it's true. Because a teacher who's making X amount of dollars right now, three years from now, can do a lot of other things to make more money unless she believes that's the only thing she's supposed to earn. Like if that is your script, you don't realize it, but your subconscious makes you fricking stick to the script. So a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that my naturopath suggested that instead of taking calcium... For my bone density issue, which is a genetic thing for me, because I do all the other things, my diet is right, I'm exercising right, like all the things you need to do for bone density. And calcium is one of those misnomers that actually improves bone density. One of the surprising supplements that many women are deficient in is actually most people are deficient in is magnesium, right? So I started taking magnesium. But there's so many different types of magnesium. And a lot of them, especially those, no offense, you know, I love my Amazon. But a lot of them that are sold on Amazon are just junk. Or they give you one strain when you actually need seven different forms of magnesium, your body does. Okay, so you started asking me, what are some of the signs that I might be deficient in magnesium? Okay, for one thing, do you have like muscle twitches? Like maybe an eye that's twitching or a muscle that spasms, that's one sign. If you're deficient in sleep, that could be it. Some people, they think it's uh, melatonin and it actually might be magnesium. Is your digestion off? Like do you sometimes have cramps or constipation? Do you sometimes have anxiety or irritableness? But if you are looking for a high quality magnesium supplement, may I strongly encourage you to check out Bioptimizer. This is the one that I've landed on after doing my research because it has all seven forms of the magnesium that your body needs. And because it's full spectrum and the way that it is processed, your body actually absorbs this supplement. I hate to say it, but a lot of these supplements are not regulated and you really are then at the mercy of the manufacturer. So I want you to know I've done the research for you. Bioptimizer is the one I'm using for my brain health, for my sleep, for my bone density, for you know, pain and inflammation, all those things. And you get to try it. Are you ready for this at 10% off because you listen to The Shaleen Show. So go to buyoptimizers.com. I'm going to spell it B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com forward slash Shaleen. Enter Coach That's what gets you 10% off. And of course, I always appreciate it when you support the people who support the show. So, again, go check it out. Get 10% off while supplies last. They give you a 365 day money back guarantee. That's huge. Go to buyoptimizers.com forward slash Shalene. Enter code Shalene. Right? I have a friend who, growing up, her, I can't remember whether it's her mom or her dad, basically repeated things like when you get money, people take advantage of you and they want to come and take it away from you. I have another friend who, her mother, had just some real mental health struggles, and she would often involve the children in stealing or conning other family members out of money, like to help pay for the bills or for food or whatever. And so whether you were aware that it was right or wrong, it doesn't matter. It forms a script in your head. The way your parents viewed money, wealth, relationships, work, struggle, material things, all of that all of that forms a script in your head so obviously for those of you who have kids please understand you are form right now like you are forming their script you are programming them and if you want your kids first they need to believe it in order for it to be a possibility so you and i both know that your kid is amazing and they're going to be able to do amazing things but they're going to be limited their earning potential is going to be limited by what they believe is possible. And what they believe is possible is being limited by the programming you're doing with them right now. Just take a second. Like, I mean, before we can figure out how to fix this, what kinds of things have you been programmed to believe that now you're you're doing that? Like another one that I believed was that in order to be wealthy or to, to make a lot of money, you have to grind You have to be working like a dog, like 60, 80 hours a week. I believe that. So therefore, when I started making a lot of money, right, when my business was finally had surpassed the million dollar mark, because Brett had stopped gambling, that's a whole other story that relates to his money script, but he had stopped gambling, and we had been focused 100% on the business and we were grinding, like grinding like dogs, like working so, so, so hard, right? And 40 plus hours for sure a week. And then then came along the infomercial deal. So now we're talking millions and millions, but now I'm not working double the amount because you can't work more than you're already working, right? So I'm working the same amount of hours, which again was probably like 50, 60 hours, but I loved what I was doing. And I wasn't working more, but I was making a lot more. And I've got this subconscious script in my head that I'm supposed, to, like the amount that I earn is supposed to relate to how hard I'm working. And because I can't work any harder than I, subconsciously, I have to get rid of some of that money. So I did the dumbest things with that money. I gave it away to People who would ask for it, who were making huge mistakes in their own lives. I was bailing out people's parents. I paid for friends' plastic surgery. Why? Because they asked me to? Like just giving it away because now I was telling myself it's because I was generous and I don't care about money and I don't need money. That's what I was saying. That's what I was telling myself. But the truth is, because subconsciously I believed. I didn't deserve that money unless I'd worked harder for it. And then as I stopped working as hard, that was really a money script I had to untangle too in that I believed if I wasn't working really, really hard, then I wasn't a valuable person. Then I wasn't worthy to others. I didn't have significance to others. That my only value to others was how much money I could make them. Now that is a mindset that it might serve me financially, but it did not serve me from a happiness standpoint, because you just can't relax. If you believe that if you do relax, that you are a crappy person, like if you're not being productive, then you're a waste of time. You're a waste of a human. And that's literally, if I'm being honest, that is how I felt. I didn't know I felt that way. I just believed that I was uber productive, and I attributed all to work ethic. I just excused it. I'd be like, I can't help it that I have just such an amazing work ethic. Like, That's just how I'm wired. I didn't understand that it really wasn't how I was wired. It was how I was programmed. And I it was not intentional programming. So a lot of this programming that we've received and that we've given our own kids is not intentional. It just happens. And sometimes even when you try to do your very best to provide positive programming. You just never know how a kid is going to interpret that. And that's, I don't blame my parents at all for some of the things that got wrapped up in my head is just how I interpreted things. The question is, how do you undo this stuff? Well, first you have to recognize where are you limited and how do you want to change? Because for the record, I don't care if you make more money. If you don't want to make more money, if you're perfectly content, cool. Then don't change a friggin' thing. But be honest about it. Stop settling if, if, in fact, you have a job that is just okay, you like it, but you don't love it. If there are things you wish you could do, if there are people you wish you could take care of, if there are vacations you wish you could go on, if you wish that you could walk into a store and just grab whatever you want off the rack and not look at the price, which is a thing, that's a thing, then you do actually want more. And the question is, What makes you think that you don't deserve it, your script? So if it's something you desire, it's not anything you need. You don't, no one needs more money, right? We don't need it. Sometimes it certainly helps to help other people. It helps to give you more options. It helps to be, let me just tell you, I've been in both places. I've been a half a million dollars in debt and I've been in the spot where I'm at now and the spot where I know I'm going next, and I would much, 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 much rather be here. It's so much easier to solve problems. It's so much easier to just go, oh, well, I don't I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, that didn't work out. Yep, we lost that. Whoops, that broke. I got to buy another one. I don't have to stress. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to look at price tags. I do sometimes because, not because I want to know, can I afford it? I know I can afford it. I look at price tags to see, do I think this is? is valued appropriately. That's all. So if you really do desire that, then you have to examine where your limits are, where they came from. And the next question is, okay, how do I undo this? So we all have these evidence files and some of those evidence files serve us and some of them do not. And it is really, really hard work to examine them and say, is this serving me? Is it serving me that I believe I can't throw anything away? Does it serve me in some way that I'm holding on to clothes that are so old and so outdated and I'm never going to wear them, but they have value, so I'm still hanging on to them? Does that serve me in any way? Or do I need to get rid of things because I need to make space for more in my life? I need to make space for a new attitude. I need to make space for more abundance I've done a whole episode on that so I won't go into making more space but that's like step one I told you I was going to break down my methodology step one is like to just figure out like where are your limiting beliefs and it helps to just put me on pause I mean we're almost done and I'm trying to keep my show episode shorter because I I heard that's what you guys want tell me in the pod squad if in fact that's true you do want them shorter because I'm going to do my best but there's like so much to tell you like maybe this should be a part two there should be a part two. Anyways, let's not waste time. There's so much you need to just put on paper and identify phrases and beliefs that you have around money, materialistic things, and your earning potential. That's step one. And then step two is you have to look at which of these beliefs do I most desire to change? I had this belief that wealthy people were stuffy, that they were like white Upper class, you know, wear an ascot and smoke a pipe, and they don't swear, and they speak with perfect grammar, and you know, they're just not cool, not cool at all. That was one of my beliefs. I believe that they were like they held their forks a certain way, and like an aristocrat. And I was like, I don't want to be that. I want to be cool. I want to be smooth. I want. I want to be relatable. I want to be. I don't ever want to change. So I had to challenge the belief, the belief that I had that. If I were to be wealthy, that's how I would have to be. How did I challenge that? So let's pick a belief. I'm going to tell you this belief first. The first thing I had to do was to get around other people who I need to create a new evidence file because I had met people who were wealthy and stuffy. And I'm thinking of them right now, but we'll not name them. But like these are like childhood memories. And I just felt so uncomfortable and so self conscious around them. And they weren't cool or chill or laid back. They were really uptight. So I had an evidence file with that in it. And the people who I knew who were like super cool and super chill and super down to earth and super relatable, frankly, they were poor or broke. And I related more to them. So I need to create new evidence. I had to seek out people who were super dope and super chill and super down to earth and super relatable and they had money. I had to create a new evidence file. So what new evidence file do you have to create? Because whatever it is you're looking for, you're going to find more of it. If I had decided I wanted to look harder for people who were uptight and not friendly and all the things, are you kidding? Yeah, there's no limit to the number of examples I could show for that. So what it is we look for, if that's what we're looking for, if that's what we're focused on, that's what we're going to get more of. So I had to focus on trying to associate and meet people who were cool and chill and down to earth. And I always use the phrase, quote, normal, like normal, just be normal, like be cool, be chill, be down to earth, be relatable, don't be a phony. And I had to find people like that. And, and I had to pay attention so I could find them and then keep stacking up that evidence file. And this evidence file, it really helps if you can like put it in writing, if you can just keep a note on your phone. And anytime you see evidence of this, that's one example. Another example is, it, are things that you're going to have to prove to yourself. Okay, so if you have a belief that if you ask for more money in your job, that means you're greedy. Or if you ask for more money, that means you're not likable. Or if you were to ask for a raise, that means that you are self-centered or selfish or entitled, like whatever the belief is, right? So let's take that as an example of a belief. Then in order to change that belief, you have to have faith that you're not going to die if you challenge this belief, then you must have the courage to challenge the belief by taking the action. You have to take action that your beliefs may not entirely support yet. And that is contradictory to what most experts will tell you. Most experts tell you, you have to have the belief before you take the action. And, you know, like, are we that really that rigid? Because there's a lot of things I just bet... You kind of went for it, even though your belief wasn't yet that strong. Right? Like, so asking a girl out on a date or asking a guy out on a date or, you know, just doing something where you're like, I don't know how this is going to go. Like, you might kind of in the back of your head hope that it turns out, but you really kind of believe that, oh, this could go really bad, but you still did it, right? And so, and when you did it and it turned out well, what that did is it creates a new belief because you've got a new evidence file. So, if you now have the courage to go to your boss or, whoever and say or, or go to your clients if you're an entrepreneur and say like you know what we're we're raising our rates or you know I'd like to ask for an increase and here's the reasons why and you go and do that okay worst case scenario your clients are like oh okay well thank you very much we're we're going to look for services elsewhere all right did that mean that you were greedy did that mean that you were selfish or did it teach you a lesson that you need to be able to come to that meeting with a better way of substantiating your value. It's just a lesson. And then you get the courage to do it again. And your next clients are like, great point. You know, absolutely. We're, we're fine with that. We're going to pay that. Or you go to your boss and your boss says, um, no, sorry. No, no increase this year. And in fact, we want to do this performance review. And here's all the ways that you haven't been meeting your mark and we're putting on 90 day probation. Okay, fine. Did you die from it? No. But that is not an action that's going to substantiate a new belief. So then what do you do? Right? Because now you've got evidence that supports your negative belief. So then what do you do? Then you have to have the courage to try again and again and again. And it's going to get a little better each and every time. So let me just be very transparent in saying there are hundreds of thousands of people who are going to listen to this episode at some point. And the fact of the matter is a very, very small percentage of you will actually take that risk and take the scary action where you don't yet have evidence and try something that you're almost goes against your beliefs. It's something you want to believe in, but you're going to try something that's super scary and it fails. And it, like I said, a very small percentage of you are going to say, I'm going to try again. But those people who do try again, you will change your mindset. You will. And those who don't won't. And it's just, it's not like that you're a good person or a bad person. It doesn't mean anything about you morally. You're still a beautiful human being. I still love you to pieces. You're still perfect in God's eyes, but your financial situation isn't gonna change. Because if you're waiting for the universe to like to win the lottery, or for you know, your company to finally go public and then you're gonna get that whatever, or for your aunt to finally croak and leave you her inheritance, that's also a belief that you can't make it happen. The universe has to gift it to you, that you don't have the power within you. And when that happens to people who, it happens to athletes, it happens to people who win the lottery. If you look at people who are like musicians, MC Hammer, these athletes who make millions and millions and millions of dollars. And then the, then the next thing you know, they're cleaning pools. Like, and no shame in cleaning pools, but like, where did their millions go? Their millions left them and the lottery winners who go broke within a number of years. I mean, they've been done a lot of studies on this. The reason why is because they hadn't changed their money script. They hadn't changed their mindset around money. So they find ways subconsciously to take actions that sabotage the money. So they don't believe that they deserve to hold on to it. It's so subconscious, but it's there. If you examine those money scripts, yo, it's there. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, Brett had to examine his own beliefs around himself when it came to money in order to quit gambling. And then once he stopped gambling and we got our business back in the black and now we're, you know, finally making money, and during that exact period is when I really had to examine my own money scripts. That's when I had I was going to therapy and like just trying to step out on a limb and do these things that challenged my beliefs. And it was really uncomfortable and sometimes I failed. And one of the big things that I had to wrap my head around was that I could trust him with money again because I had a big fat file, an evidence file that said, this mother effort cannot be trusted with money. I'm going to work my butt off and he's going to gamble it away. And he's doing that because, because he doesn't love me because he wanted to hurt me. Like it's, that was an evident, that was my belief. So I had to change that belief, right? So how do I go from not trusting him, which is a belief and, and not believing that he's trustworthy with money to trusting him with money and seeing us together as partners? How did I do that? Slowly. One little experiment at a time, like saying, okay, let's give this a test and see how that goes. Oh, that went really well. Now I've got my first little piece of evidence. Think of it as like one piece of paper in a file, and then the next thing. And then, and you just keep building up that evidence file. It's not something that changed overnight. It's not something that we were able to reverse, you know, in one therapy session. It took years, it took a lot of time. We've done a whole nother episode about rebuilding trust, but. In order for us to be where we are today, for me to walk away from the fitness industry where I was making millions, right? And to believe that I could do it on my own in a way that was less work and less hardship, that was hard because remember, I had this belief that if I'm gonna be making money, it's supposed to be hard. I'm supposed to be working like a dog. So I had to challenge that belief and see, okay. How do I feel if I don't work as hard? And i just see how that felt. Like, that was just step one. And I was like, okay, I still feel worthy. I still feel loved. I still feel like a valuable human. And I'm not working 40 hours a week. I'm not even working 30 hours a week. And I'm more present with my kids. And I'm way more present with my husband. I'm actually having fun. And then you know what happened? Started making more money than we ever did in fitness, And that goes in a new evidence file. Now I'm like, oh my gosh, look, honey, not really, but like in my mind now I'm like, I just think about how much bigger that folder is, like how many pieces of paper are in the evidence file. That evidence file that is marked, you don't have to work hard or hate your life or hate your job in order to make a lot of money. And now we're making more money and we're living a much freer, funner life. We're not working nearly as much. And that took years. It takes years of youth recognizing it's there and challenging it and challenging it. And each time you challenge it, realizing you're putting a new piece of paper in that evidence file and then asking yourself, like, what's the next thing I need to challenge? And for me, that was when Brett was like, if we really want to scale our income, if we really want to, like, you know, go to that next level, as he's learning more about trusting himself and, and his own beliefs around wealth and abundance... He's learning about stocks and annuities and really wanting to invest more in the stock market. And as you know from earlier in this episode, that was a really hard script that I had to overcome. Because even to this day, you know, my dabble sometimes, you know, makes these little comments about people who invest in stocks. And so so how do we test that? We tested it by talking about it and by Brett explaining to me that there are certain areas of investing like day trading that does feel like gambling to him. And so that was me like going, okay, let, let's test this. I want to build this trust together and I want to learn and I want to build an evidence file here. And so now we're, I don't know, 10 years into building this incredible wealth portfolio from investments in stocks and real estate and syndicated apartments and you know, investing in in people, like it's not just stocks, it's just investing, right? Like realizing that you can really work hard, which is one way, or you can invest and scale. And that took understanding and testing and creating evidence, creating small little steps one at a time going like, okay, that went well, that went well. And sometimes it doesn't, but then realizing, well, let's, let's fix it. Let's course correct and go back and see if we can make it work. So if I may, I'd like to tell you about a course that my husband's put together. This is something that's a long time in the making. He has been teaching people how to do this and teaching people how to use their money so that their money works hard so that you don't have to. And you've heard previous episodes of Brett's giving you advice, financial advice, advice on investing. If you love that kind of thing, you definitely wanna follow him on Instagram. Now he doesn't post that kind of stuff to his feed, I know he doesn't take any of my advice when it comes to Instagram, but he's always offering that advice on his Instagram stories. And because of that, people have been begging him for probably the last five years to teach or create a course, a basic course for beginners, not for the person who's already investing, not for the person who already has a portfolio and understands, you know, annuities and their retirement fund and how to figure out how to get started, all of those things. That's the course that he created. It's called Money Matters 101. It has been five years in the making, but it's a quick course. This is literally a 101 course for those of you who are afraid of the numbers, you're afraid of the financials, but it's time for you to take control of that. We've got to change that mindset and you can and it's important that you do because I don't want you to work as hard as you've been working. I want your money to work harder for you and Brett wants to teach you how to do that and he's my husband so I can tell you he doesn't mansplain things, he really does break it down and make it super simple because he's had 30 years of training working with someone who has ADHD, who is constantly saying like, hold on, hold on. Okay, back it up, slow it down, break that down for me, draw a little picture. And it's a really great course. So anyways, you can check it out. There is a link in our show notes for you to check out Brett's new course, Money Matters 101. I mean, there's like 10 more things I wanted to talk to you about, but I promise to keep this episode short. I want to talk to you about how to do this for your kids, like the right things to say to them versus those scarcity mindset comments that parents make. I want to talk to you about the way you think about spending money on quality items and the difference between spending frivolously and just having this abundance mindset and realizing what things you should spend your money on. But the last and most important thing I want to finish with is this, because this relates to mindset as well. It is when you say, but I don't know how, but I don't know where, where do I even begin? That phrase is the biggest sign of all that you have a scarcity mindset. Because when that question is asked, the how, but how, but I don't even know where to begin. When people say things like that, that's a rhetorical question that we make when we really don't want to know the answer. Because if we knew the answer, then we would be forced to do the thing. And if we did the thing, what if we failed? But if I just constantly am saying, well, gosh, I don't know how to do that. Well, then you don't have to do it. So that is something, believe it or not, this is your subconscious. When you say, I don't know how to do that, that is your subconscious limiting your potential. Because you and I both know, if it meant life and death for the person you love the most, I don't care what it is, you would figure it out and you wouldn't ask somebody else. You wouldn't say to someone, well, how do I do that? You would just go into research mode. You would go into MacGyver mode. You wouldn't rest until you figured it out. You'd go to Google and you'd read books and you'd listen to podcasts and you'd go to seminars and you would you would invest in experts. Like You would do whatever it took in order to figure it out. So stop asking, I don't know how, I don't know where, and dig in. Because the thing that separates where you are right now and where you want to be is courage. The courage to take scary action, well informed action. Oh gosh, you guys, there's so much more I wanna talk to you about. Do you want another episode on this or not? Or are you like done with me ranting about it? It's really important, but I'm not gonna try to talk you into it. Like maybe you wanna talk about plastic surgery or maybe you wanna talk about, I don't know, sex or relationships or parenting, or I don't know what you want to talk about, food, exercise. I don't know. I want to keep talking about this, but we're running long. So I'm going to leave it at that and just say, please catch yourself every time. It is nails on a chalkboard for me when I hear someone say, but I don't know how, and I don't know where to start. No more. We're going to take that phrase out of our vocabulary because you have a phone in your hand right now and you've got Google and you're super smart and you're resourceful. And if you want it, you're going to figure it out. So take mad action, please. I need to know more of this, less of this. What do you want next? I love you. I mean it. And I'll talk to you soon. Hey, if you enjoyed the show, just do me a favor and double check and make sure that you're subscribed or following if you're actually someone who listens on the Apple podcast And if you've got just like 30 seconds, it would really mean the world to me if you were able to leave a five-star review and tell me specifically what it is you liked about this episode. My show is released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I do also have a business podcast that comes out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I host that with my son, Brock. It's called Build Your Tribe. You should check it out. There's always a link in the show notes. I'm sure you know this, but on Fridays, my episodes are very casual. Very personal. It's usually stuff with myself and my husband. And if you love that kind of stuff, I want to invite you to check out my Patreon. It's all of the Shaleen Show episodes ad free. In addition to that, for just five dollars a month, you get extra episodes. And this is this is the stuff that's like kind of too personal to put on the Chalene Show. It, it's all personal stuff. There's like no like personal development. It's just real raw. What's going on in our lives. Stuff we can't talk about on the show. However, if you are easily offended, Patreon is not for you. That's not the place to be, all right? You can learn more about it by going to patreon.com forward slash The Shaleen Show. Any of the links that I referenced in this episode will show up in the show notes, which are just below the episode. To learn more about the services that I offer and to take advantage of some of the free resources, I invite you to check out my website, which can be found at shaleen.com.